In this special edition of Monaco's House View, we look back at some of the year's best episodes on the stack. On this episode, we visit London's Art Book Fair at Whitechapel Gallery. We speak to a variety of publishers and magazine editors, from big international players such as Thames and Hudson to a venerable Aussie publication that is more than a hundred years old. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. This week we are at Whitechapel Gallery to meet, well, a stack of publishers exhibiting their wares at London's Art Book Fair, which is happening throughout this weekend in London. If you are at a loose end, do make sure you pay a visit. You can check out the work of 70 art publishers from 16 countries. First on my list of stops at the event was Jesse Connock from Columbia Books on Architecture and the City. So we're based at Columbia University's Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation. Um, and the press has been around in many different incarnations for a while now. I would say I th we rebranded as Columbia Books on Architecture in the City, I think five years ago now. Um, and so it encompasses both the imprint, uh, we have an online journal called the Avery Review, we have an email-based journal called Avery Shorts, and we have a, a, our fingers in a few other different publishing projects at the school. And tell us what you're going to be exhibiting here in London at the Art Book Fair. So uh, today we have, or for the fair, we have books on our imprint, Columbia Books on Architecture in the City. Um, we have a range of our uh, most, mostly our most recent titles. Um, one of our books is up for an award here. That's uh, The Empire Remains Shop by Cooking Sections, um, which explores possibilities for uh, using the tools of neoliberalism to undo the ravages of colonialism. Um, uh, and it's beautifully designed by uh, a graphic design firm called An Endless Supply that's based in Birmingham. Um, we also have a book called A Moving Border um, on the Alpine Cartographies of Climate Change by uh, Marco Ferrari, Elisa Pasquale, and Andrea Bagnato that looks at how the northern Italian border is, because it's on a glacier, as the glacier melts with climate change, the Italian border is in a constant state of flux, and it's a, a project about the history of mapping and negotiating uh, the border in flux. Um, other recent projects we have, uh, there's a book called Space Settlements uh, by Fred Sharman that uh, on 1970s NASA designs for settlements on spaceships, um, coincidentally but very fortunately published uh, alongside the Apollo 11 anniversary, um, which is a really beautifully illustrated book that uh, started with a collection of paintings that NASA had commissioned of the designs for these settlements. And so it looks at the architecture um, of these settlements. Uh, we have another new book on uh, the biennial-triennial phenomenon in architecture. Um, That's a very interesting topic about, so is it kind of a critique of, of those biennials and triennials or? So uh, the book is a series of interviews conducted by this woman, Leah Catherine Saka, 
um, who, and she interviews curators of a series of the different biennials, asking them their opinions both on what they were trying to do with their biennial or triennial and how they see them fitting together or being different, or, and also what this resurgent trend of biennials, triennials says about architecture and architecture discourse today and how that might be different from what was happening previously. I'm very curious, you mentioned uh, the Every Review, so it's, it's quite so is a journal you guys publish. Is it only online? Do you also have a, a print of it? or? It's only online, though occasionally they've done uh, some print versions. So uh, for the inauguration of Trump, we did a book of essays, we printed a book of essays on uh, architecture against a developer presidency. And so that's how the online journal became, it, the essays were all first published online and then they were assembled together for a print book. They also, uh, uh, there's another one for, uh, I think the first Chicago Architecture Biennial, we made a print edition of the Avery Review, um, but it's mostly just an online journal. That was Jesse Connick talking to me about the beautiful selection of books from Columbia Books on Architecture and the City. My next guest is Caitlin Patani, editorial assistant of Art in Australia, a venerable title that is more than 100 years old. In its latest issue, they look at brutalism. Caitlin tells me more. Art in Australia has actually been around since 1916, and at that time, um, it was titled Art in Australia. Um, and given that it's such a long um, history of the publication, it's had a few different lifespans or title changes um, and different editorial focuses as well. Um, so yeah, Art in Australia has a real legacy in Australia um, and we now have it um, at the Victorian College of the Arts, that's where we operate out of, which is the art school of the University of Melbourne. Uh, and we are really focused on contemporary art and its relation to broader theoretical and geopolitical contexts. Um, and so, yeah, it has a very academic um, approach, I think. And every issue has a, some sort of theme. For example, I have issue five with me. Mm -hmm. It's called Brutalism. But is it the case for every single issue? Yes, that's right. Um, every issue has a particular thematic um, and we invite writers, artists, curators to contribute um, to that theme and that theme might um, take place in many different um, discourses. So um, there's contemporary art, architecture, fashion, um, things like that, even law. Um, so yeah. And in terms of, of the market, I'm, I'm sure you have a market there in Australia for the magazine, but this is the type of magazine a lot of people that are not from Australia will be interested to read. Because I, ha I have to be honest, when, when I think of Australian art, I, I, I don't know what to think. So I think this is, can be quite a, an interesting guide for non-Australians as well to, to look at some, something a bit non-cliché about the country as well, right? Yeah, thanks so much for that. That's really great that that's the impression um, that you've gotten from our publication. Um, yeah, it's definitely non-conventional. Um, it's very rigorous and very, uh, it's, it kind of, yeah, it takes a really rigorous look at contemporary art and it's very focused on um, non-convention and just 
displaying Australian contemporary art, but also how Australian contemporary art relates to the rest of the world in a, in a globalised form and all the like, relations and connections between Australia and abroad. And, yeah, we have lots of writers and artists from Australia and from the UK, Europe and, and, and America as well. And in terms of, do you sell this on a typical newsstand or do you sell more online? I, I want to know, like, where, where or, or do you have perhaps, you know, subscribers? What, what's the biggest kind of uh, market for art in Australia? Yep, so we have a little bit of everything. Um, we definitely have subscribers um, to the magazine uh, and we also sell in galleries and bookstores mainly. Um, we do have a distributor here in London. John Rule um, is our distributor. Um, and in Australia, Paribo Books are our distributor. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a combination of, of, um, of um, accessibilities. Tell us a bit more about the design you were mentioning. Uh, you know, your designer, he's, he's based in the UK, right? Mm. Uh, well, his name's John Warwicker and he originally um, was here um, and he founded the company called Tomato um, Design Company and he now lives in Melbourne and he works with us on the magazine um, and he's also a lecturer professor as well at the university. That was Caitlin Patani from Art in Australia. Our next guest is Roger Thorpe from Thames and Hudson. Roger is responsible for commissioning all the publishers' books on art and he also oversees children's commissions. Roger tells me about the main art releases that Thames and Hudson are showing at the fair. Well, a number of titles uh, which we are publishing in, in different areas uh, right across, across the list. So we're trying to... We have a sort of broad range in the list from very introductory books. We have a new series which we established just uh, last year called uh, Art Essentials. And so volumes on that which cover topics as broad as street art, modern art, how to look at pictures, um, and women artists, which we've done, um, are introducing people that are for... Uh, gallery audience, museum audience, and general reader audience, at an, uh, an informative, low-price um, publication, which works, um, it gives the opportunity also to sort of set the record straight. So the book on pop art in that series is written by Flavia Figari, who curated the Tate show of um, The World Goes Pop, or co-curated that show. And um, there's the opportunity to make sure that the gender balance, the diversity, the international nature of that movement is presented in a way that it's fresh and new um, from the get-go, uh, rather than having to recalibrate the canon later on. So there's a, that's uh, one area of the, the uh, list which is, uh, I think, a very important element, the very sort of introductory level. At the other end of the scale, we have some major publications uh, coming through, for instance, this um, autumn, a large monograph on Paula Rego, which will be a full retrospective of her work um, with around you know, 350 images, a very uh, thorough a review and overview of her text, but uh, uh, of her work, but with a text that uh, um, respects the, um, the literary as well as the artistic nature of her work. And so it's a very interesting combination looking at her work through stories and so forth. And then we, are, we have books which are dealing particularly with uh, the contemporary, so a book like um, Omar Khalif's The uh, 
uh, artist who will change the world. Omar was a curator here at the Whitechapel a few years ago um, and has really taken, again, a, a very diverse look at the art world, the contemporary art world, and looked at particularly areas of act, uh, social action and uh, political engagement and so forth, which mean um, that uh, they're new artists to many, Perhaps in the art world they'll be more familiar, but for many there'll be new names, and it's great to have that range right across the world. Um, and then in another series which we started, uh, started about illustrators. Illustrators are important artists and often neglected, but uh, somebody who had some re involvement with the Whitechapel was uh, Walter Crane, who was commissioned to uh, uh, put a fresco in the foyer. Uh, at the early uh, period of its... Um, uh, development. He was a very important socialist artist working with William Morris and others, but he was also making phenomenal children's books in the 1890s. So it's great to be able to have him celebrated, but also alongside that there's a book on Judith Carr, the illustrator of uh, Taika Who Came to Tea, and much more familiar name for children's, um, as a children's author and parents will know her work. And that then also um, leads a bit to the children's list, has got some interesting titles in the children's list this uh, coming through this autumn, and they would include somebody like uh, Helen Kellock, who's an, um, a Glaswegian artist, an amazing book. This is her first book called The Star in the Forest, um, which is uh, just a beautiful picture book showing the high quality of illustration that you can bring into the uh, uh, into into an illustrated uh, book at a young age for a young age, and something like um, the Finnish book, Oili Tanninen, the Finnish uh, artist, made a wonderful book in 1964 called Button, uh, we've called it Button and Popper, but never been in English before, S superb design, um, and it's great, and she's in her mid-80s now, but we asked her to write a little bit about how she made that book, which is included in the book. Um, it still works as a scintillating book for children, but it's also a fantastic design. And it's nice to have that combination, and then somebody like Mandana Sadat, the um, French-Iranian artist who has created a book we've called Has Anybody Seen a Story? Originally published in Spanish, we're putting it into English um, with illustration technique, which is completely unique, uh, which plays on different levels so that uh, the story uh, there's a story being told, the characters are telling a story, and then even the page numbers are joining in and telling their own story uh, in a very um, a special way of illustration. So it's a broad list. That was Roger Thorpe from Thames and Hudson. Another big presence at the London Art Book Fair this year is Hauser & Wirth. The Swiss art gallery has an increasing presence in the world of art publishing. I spoke to their managing editor, Stefan Zebrowski-Rubin. It's the first time we're participating in the Whitechapel London Art Book Fair and very excited to be part of it. We are showcasing mostly our 2019 titles and it ranges um, from uh, artist books um, from the likes of Jetta Bratescu or Paul McCarthy. Um, we've also got a couple of books on artist writings and artist biographies. Um, including Eduardo Chida and um, Jack Witten, but we also have exhibition catalogs um, that range from uh, Japanese artist Takesada Matsutani, uh, Arshul Gorky, uh, and a couple of books by Calder and Bourgeois Picasso. Really, we're bringing 20 titles to the fair this year, so we're really trying to just celebrate everything that we do. Do you guys work with other publishers as well, or do you, you have your own kind of uh, publishing only? Uh, so we um, 
chiefly work on our own now. Um, and But we do every now and then collaborate with museums or we co-publish, um, depends on the title. Um, this year, for example, we've done a co-publication with the Pompidou and also one with a, a museum in Venice. And uh, so that was Takasada Matsutani, uh, who had a show at the Pompidou, and then it was Arshil Gorky in Venice. So it really depends on the development of our program, and sometimes um, we decide to co-publish. Um, but on the whole, we've got um, some editors who are based in New York, London, and Zurich, who really shepherd the whole project from start to finish. And we work with um, production so that we um, then sort of control everything in-house and then distribute worldwide through DAP. One of the reasons I ask, because I know in your uh, galleries you always have those uh, beautiful bookshops as well where you can uh, you know, buy books and everything. So how, how, how are those bookshops important to, to, the, to the brand? So, I mean, Hausenworth Publishers and sort of publishing has been a cornerstone of the gallery since it opened in 1992. So it, we're coming up on 30 years of um, being passionate about books and being passionate about putting our artists front and center and uh, recording our activities through our books and um, getting new scholarship and everything. And so the bookshops really act as that sort of public-facing way of... Um, having all these titles together. And it's really beautiful to see them all because each one is so individual and it's in response to the artist, the artwork, the project, um, whether that be an exhibition or be a collection of writings. Uh, and so these shops are really that interface with the public and allows people to find something that they fall in love with and want to take home. Um, and so we've got a shop in New York that's sort of part of the gallery. Um, connected to Roth Bar that's sort of adjacent and actually sort of you can walk through the bookshop to get there. Uh, in London, we've got a dedicated shop um, that's just our books, and that's really um, amazing. You can also, that's just part of when you walk in, you walk into the bookshop, and then the exhibition space is just beyond that. And then in Zurich, very excitingly, earlier this year, we opened um, a bookshop and headquarters um, on Ramistrasse across from the Kronenhalle, and that's just, it's actually a, a bookshop in a previous life and has quite a, an amazing history, and so it was quite um incredible to take that over and to make it modern but keep a lot of the original features uh, and continue, you know, continue that space being a bookshop. You sort of enter and feel that presence and you see all of our books and it's just, I always think of it as a very colorful family because um, every book cover is different and every book format is different and really responds to um, our artists who are really the center point of all of our activities. And Stefan, for those who are visiting the London Art Book Fair, do you have any recommendations from your stand? I know, for example, you guys also uh, do from your New York office a uh, quarterly magazine called Ursula. W will it be available to sell here as well? Yeah, so the, the previous issue of Ursula is going to be on our stand. Um, the next one comes out beginning of October, so that you'll have to come to the bookshop instead to get that. Um, but otherwise, um, there's... 
There are, there are a couple of titles that are quite exciting that people really love and respond to. There's an um, exhibition catalog that accompanies our Zurich show of uh, Louise Bourgeois and Pablo Picasso. And it's just, uh, I didn't work on the book, but it's such a beautiful production and it's such an, a wonderful interface for those two artists. Um, but there really is something for everyone on the stand. Um, and it's just a matter of coming and browsing and, and checking out the different things. And if you want to get something that's more sort of image heavy, that's there. And if you want to get something that's sort of more text and history, that's also there. So you need to sort of come by, hang out, open up the books and see what, see what inspires. That was Stefan Zebrowski-Rubin from Hauser and Wirth. And finally on the show, another first-timer at the fair, Harriet Judd from Eiderdown Books. This new publishing house produces books by female writers about female artists. Harriet is launching her first books at the fair. And Eiderdown is a very British object. Um, and uh, all of the artists in the series of books that we're producing are either British or working in Britain in the first half of the 20th century. And the Eiderdown, so it's a very British object, um, I thought it was a lovely name. When I started looking into it, it the way an eiderdown was originally made was it was the feathers that were inside were taken from the female eider duck and they were taken from the nests of the female eider duck. And so they were taken from a sort of from nature, from the wild, and stuffed into a, an object to be put into a bedroom, domesticated and left. And that seemed like quite a fitting metaphor for uh, for female artists who have been hidden away uh, in history. And, and the whole idea of Eiderdown as well is to publish, you know, books, uh, you know, written by female writers about female artists, right? And is it is it true that here on the London Art Book Fair, that's where the books will be launched in a way, right? Absolutely, that's it. Yep. So we've been gearing up to this um, for the last year. We only started the company last year, um, and we've had we've got five new writers, um, each writing on five different artists. And yes, we're launching. This, we're launching Eiderdown um, with this first series of five books uh, here at the London Art Book Fair. Well, let's look, I mean, they're, they're things of beauty. Uh, tell us about the first, uh, you know, female artist that, are, that the books are. We have Lee Miller. Uh, well, you can go through this. Yes, yeah, so there's, a, there's five books in uh, the first five books in the series. Um, and each of them are numbered. So the first one is Sylvia Pankhurst, and she starts the series. Um, really, she's the earliest artist working, and she goes and paints um, portraits of women at work in factories um, at a time before women had the right to vote. So Sylvia Pankhurst, she's, the Pankhurst name is probably quite well known um, for her mother, Emmeline Pankhurst, was one of the biggest names in the female suffrage movement. Um, but Sylvia um, did have a creative life. She was painting um, and she also designed emblems for the uh, WSPU, and um, and so she had this really interesting creative life, but she's not really known um, as an artist, so that's sort of why I wanted to include her. Actually, the image we've got on the front of our book, this work has just this year joined the Tate uh, collection, which is fantastic. Um, the other artist we've got, um, number two, is Frances Hodgkins. Um, so she was a modernist artist. Um, she did these really interesting things, um, combining landscape and um, portraiture, um, and those two things together. She was really influential uh, as, as an artist. Um, and so she's our number two. Number three is Marlo Moss. Um, her name is really unknown, actually. Um, 
you might look at her work and sort of recognise that. I don't know if that reminds you of anyone, but lots of people that reminds them of a Mondrian, or they might have heard of Mondrian. Um, but she was actually working with him, alongside him. They were friends and contemporaries. Um, but there was lots of really interesting reasons why her name fell out of the history books. So I absolutely wanted to include her in the series. Um, Laura Knight is number four. A fascinating artist, had a sort of de a career that spanned seven decades. Um, she was doing war commissions. Uh, she was the first female artist to become a full elected member of the Royal Academy. Um, and was she, when she was a student, there was um, women weren't allowed to female students weren't allowed to study from the life nude model, um, and so she went ahead and uh, created her own life studio so that she could do that. And actually, one of her really famous paintings, which is a self-portrait, is her painting a very is her friend, but a, a sort of life-size model which hangs in the National Portrait Gallery. And then the fifth one is Lee Miller. Um, and Lee Miller is often spoken about in relation to the men that she knew and loved um, and the surrealists. Um, this book is really trying to focus on her accomplishments as a, as a photographer um, and there's quite a few images in here which are unpublished um, and have never been uh, seen before. Do you think, Harriet, that we're seeing more, of course, besides your, your uh, publishing company, do you, are we seeing more books about female uh, artists, I mean, I'm, or do you think it's still quite slow change? The industry is not as fast as you would like to be. So I think probably the contemporary scene is different. Um, I think probably it's a much more equal landscape. But I think um, that for women, um, particularly in this period, um, actually there was an interesting. The American artist Judy Chicago. She did a study. Um, in 1979, when she was making her really important work, The Dinner Party, um, she suggested that it was only about half of 1% of um, art books published were about female artists. Uh, she wrote about this in an article in The Guardian in 2012, um, which at that point she suggested that figure had risen, but only to just under 3% of books about women artists. Uh, I think I went into Waterstones the other day, went to the art section, a fantastic art section, but still only a handful of books about women artists. So I do think there's a huge inequality there um, about books published and printed about female artists versus male artists. And finally, I just want to mention the beautiful design, those books as well. I mean, amazing, you know, color palettes as well. Who, who was responsible for the design as well? So I worked with a wonderful designer called Claire Skeets. Um, and one of the things I was really keen to do with these books was not only are they written by women and about women, but also the whole team working behind them was uh, are women, designed by women, and actually right down to the um, typography, so the font in the books as well. Um, there are two fonts uh, in the book. One is by a contemporary um, German uh, typographer, and uh, the font here, which is our modern women artist font, is... Um, She's a, uh, a typographer who was working in uh, mid-century, um, but it was only digitised as a, as a font last year. Um, so, yeah, and we were really keen. I mean, you mentioned the, the colours of the books. They're quite bold. We didn't want these to be sort of apologetic or too sort of obviously feminine in a sort of pastels kind of a way. You know, we wanted these to absolutely um, sing, really, from the, from the bookshelf. So. That was Harry Judd from Either Down Books. 
That's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Max Bowers, and also to the Whitechapel Gallery team for hosting us at the event. A special mention for Lucy Howes and Megan Miller. If you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fp at monaco.com. And remember, we're back next Saturday at the same time. And of course, you can always listen again at monaco.com or on iTunes. Before we go, a little song for you. 10cc with Art for Art's Sake. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye.